0: Lord, who made heaven and earth. Don't forget that if you have a prayer request, just fill out the slip in the bulletin and pass it in during the offering, and we'll pray for you today and throughout the week as well. For the week, a number of Bible studies here at Harvest, the the adult Sunday school is going on right now in room 303, Uh, but no Sunday Sunday school for children. Uh, IHOP Bible study Monday at 7.30 in the morning. Women's study will be on the 10th of July next week uh, at 6 p.m. at Panera's. Uh, men's Tuesday morning study here in the sanctuary at 7.30, and the Manshed Bible studies Wednesday and Friday at 6. Every week, the shelf in the lobby is for you to drop off food donations that will be taken to Wichita ICT as we partner together. And another partnership is Treehouse Ministries with extra change for the needs of mothers in need and their babies. And, of course, the blood drive, uh, that's coming up the 15th here at, the, here at Harvest. And uh, that'll be 9 a.m. in the morning to 3.30 in the afternoon. And you can call to set up an appointment or text them. Uh, if you get catch the, If you can remember the numbers on the screen, fine. Or you can catch somebody who will get it written down for you. His lightnings lit up the world. The earth saw and trembled. Psalm 97, verse 4. Unlike many of our hymns, the words to America the Beautiful were written by Catherine Bates in 1893 and then set to a tune composed by Samuel A. Ward 11 years earlier in 1882. While the words speak of the beauty and history of America, they also seek God's blessing on our country. When she wrote the patriotic words, Catherine Bates may also have been thinking of Psalm 3212, which says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. As you're able, please rise and join us as we open our worship. This is the message we have heard from the scriptures and proclaim to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not live according to the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. Please join me in our common prayer of confession. Almighty God, Lord of the universe, we come to you confessing our stubborn and rebellious ways to your rule in our lives. We admit that at personal representatives of you and your kingdom, we have at times folded. In a world screaming out for answers, there have been too many times we have stuttered and have even been paralyzed to give a witness. We confess that we go along in the barrenness of busyness that deadens the pain of the emptiness and shallowness of our world, so filled with trivial pursuits that we lose touch with what is really important. Lord, we want to make a difference for your eternal kingdom. Our attempts seem to continually miss the mark. It is because you don't want our attempts. It is our hearts that you desire to be willing to release to your Holy Spirit so that the transformation can take place within us. Jesus, we are now open to be released by your forgiveness and poised to do whatever you call us to do today. In your name we pray all of this, amen. Our assurance of forgiveness from Isaiah 43. You have not brought me fragrant incense or pleased me with the fat of sacrifices. Instead, you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your faults. I, yes, I alone, am the one who blots out your sins for my own sake and will never think of them again. Our guidelines for living in the Catechism, what does the first request mean? Hallowed be your name means help us to really know you, to bless, worship, and praise you for all your works, and for all that shines forth from them. Your almighty power, wisdom, kindness, justice, mercy, and truth. And it means help us to direct all our living, what we think, say, and do, so that your name will never be blasphemed because of us, but always honored and praised. Once again, as you're able, please rise and join us as we continue our worship.
1: i mm-hmm. Renew my mind as your will unfolds in my life and living every day in the past Shut the power of your love. Give thanks to the Lord our God and King. His love for he is good He's above all things His love endures forever Sing praise Sing praise With a mighty hand An outstretched arm His love endures forever For the life It's been reborn, His love endures forever. Sing praise, sing praise. Sing praise, sing praise. praise. Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong. is with us forever forever when you rise into the setting sun his love endures forever by the grace of God we will carry on his love endures forever sing praise sing praise Forever God is faithful, forever God is strong, forever God is with us, forever, forever, forever God is faithful, forever. God is strong. Forever, God is with us. Forever, forever, forever.
0: Maybe say it. The battle hymn of the republic was written by Julia Ward Howe in 1862. The author wanted to use different words to the tune of John Brown's body which was a familiar marching song during the Civil War. While the words were written hastily, scholars have attributed the text to the last line of Psalm 76, which says, he breaks the spirit of rulers. He is feared by the kings of the earth. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise for this privilege
2: and opportunity to give. I pray, Lord Jesus, that you'll be with these gifts and that use them for your glory. We praise you for the great warrior that you are, for justice and truth. Help us to walk in them too, Lord Jesus, and to love you with all our hearts, souls, and minds. Thank you for these gifts that these people give. In Jesus' name, amen.
0: My My eyes have seen
1: seen the glory of the coming of the the Lord. Lord. He at the vintage where the bricks of are sword. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword. His truth is marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Sounded forth the trumpet that shall never call retreat He is sifting out the hearts of men before His judgment seat Will be swift, my soul, to answer Him, be jubilant at my feet Our God is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah hallelujah glory glory hallelujah. hallelujah his truth is marching on in the beauty of hallelujah. the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with the glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me as he died to make Live to make men free Our God is marching on Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah Glory, glory, hallelujah, glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on
2: And he just got back from the Philippines and for a special reason. He um, has known a girl there for several years and he's flown back and forth and this year he surprised her with a a ring and that he has gotten engaged to this gal in the Philippines and uh, he came back with a pretty big smile on his face. So we're grateful to have him with us and we pray for a blessing on that marriage. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we just give you thanks and praise for being such a great God and an awesome God. We thank you for the opportunities that we have to be able to live in this country and be free. And to enjoy the pleasures that you give us. We thank you, Father God, for the freedoms that we have. We pray for our government. We pray for our national government, the United States of America, and our state government, and our local government, our county government, and also, Lord, our local government. We pray, Father God, you give these men and women wisdom to guide us and to keep this country free and the great opportunities that we have been afforded in this country. I pray especially for those who protect us every day both on foreign soil and even in our streets and for those who respond to fires and those respond to people in desperate medical tension. And Father, we thank you too, Father God, for the work that you've done in our lives and through this community. I pray especially too, last night again, we had nine shootings. I pray for the families that lost a 17 year old son and then another family that lost a 19 year old son. And then the seven people that were shot in Old Town, Lord Jesus, um, we know that the Bible tells us this world is sinful and it's fallen. And we've even seen that in our city. We've even had it close to home to us this week in this neighborhood. I pray, Father God, that you will help us to continue to realize how important it is to bring the gospel to our world and the many people that are struggling that don't know you. And Lord, I think of those who've not been brought up in good homes either, and that have violent natures. I pray, Father God, too, though, for those in our church who've been faithful, and those who struggle now with wanting to come to church but can't. I think of Bill, I think of Lucille, I think of Joyce and Karen, those that are locked in and can't get out. I just pray that you'll help them in their difficulties of health issues right now. I think of uh, Kurt Greer, who was here this morning, but his father passed away this week and they'll have the funeral services for him. Lord Jesus, I just pray that you bring comfort to their family as they come in from other states and also to, and they rejoice over their grandfather and father who's uh, been a great asset into their lives and a good father. I pray also, too, for Leanne and for her surgery on her knee that she continues to heal up. I think of my friend Christian, who, um, uh, Lord, that you give him direction for his future. I think of Nick, Lord, and for his surgery coming up on the 28th. I pray also for Mr. Sader and for his future marriage and for um, this uh, preparing himself and her for that time. I pray also too, Father God, for Judy Lemon. We're so grateful that her leg has seemed to be really healed up now. We think of Everett Long, who had the top of his lung removed last week and he's doing very well. He was in church this morning. We give you praise and we pray that you give the oncologists wisdom now, where do they go? Think of Angie, Lord, who's battling very difficultly with her cancer. I just pray for healing for her and for Samantha and for Jason and for also Jordan and also Mark Dops. I pray for all these that are battling strong cancers, Jesus, that you'll give them strength. We think of those who are battling too, Lord, the addictions of life. I think of Mitch and Ricky and Eric and Jordan and Ryan and David, these who are struggling, Lord, that you'll give them the strength to continue to conquer in their lives and live free. I pray also too, Father God, for our movement into the new denomination. And as that comes to a close in August, everything will go smoothly and we'll have a great time, Lord, and we can move forward in our church. I pray also too, Father God, for our time here together every Sunday. It's very special. I thank you for these people who are here and for the love and they have for you and your love for them and then also our love for one another. Help us, Lord, as we now move forward in our lives and be with our children, our grandchildren, and all the opportunities we have in our life to be a witness, to be the salt and light, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. He said to me, you've got to be kidding. I said, no. He said, come on, that can't be true. He had told me that he was ready to meet the Lord because he had been a good person. And of course, he was doing drugs in the park, but he also was a good, uh, how can I say, a, um, he was a, a good altar boy when he was in sixth grade. But then I said to him, well, are you really good? He says, well, you know, I slip up once in a while. I said, well, have you ever called anybody an idiot? yeah. Well, do you realize that you commit murder when you do that? What? Yeah. That's what Jesus says. Oh. In fact, have you ever looked on a woman lustfully? Well, who doesn't? I'm human. Well, Jesus says that's like committing a dog. Get out of here. You gotta be kidding me. That was his response. Well, today, Jesus continues to walk us through. What he requires is a disciple. And he knows that we're not perfect. That's why Jesus came, because he went to the cross to save us from our sin. But that doesn't give us a out-of-jail card as far as living our lives. We cannot take Christ's grace for granted. Jesus wants us to live a much more higher standard to our lives. In fact, the Pharisees who followed the law meticulously, they would never take the action of adultery. They would never murder anybody. But Jesus was saying, but see, that's only the small part of what the Father said in the Ten Commandments. It's a much bigger part of it. That your heart has to be with me. And as a disciple, your heart needs to be with Jesus. And your feelings are like Jesus. And it means that you're devoted. A true disciple of the kingdom. And so what we saw is that Jesus was tempted. And we saw him overcome the temptations. That he was baptized and declared the Son of God. And then Jesus began to pull aside his disciples and say, okay... First, he takes it in the third person and says, you're blessed. You're blessed when you see how spiritually you need to be saved by my grace. Because you realize through what I'm going to say, you're going to need grace a lot. Blessed are you who mourn, that you're going to mourn over your sins. That you're blessed when you're meek, not weak, but when you're meek. And that you're going to be persecuted for living this life of a disciple because the world doesn't understand you. And they doesn't like what you're going to hold up to them, the standard. Then he goes on to the second part and the second person. And he says, and you are the soul of the earth. That's who we are. We're the purifiers. We're the ones who cleanse our society by the way we live and what we speak up for. That we're the one who preserves our society. And when religion goes from a society and the values go, it collapses. And then Jesus turns to the third, first person. And he takes us very specifically through six commandments. That are in the ten commandments. And he speaks very boldly to us. Because basically that's the ten commandments he gave But now he's telling the disciples and the Pharisees, you're missing the full interpretation of it. Because in the first person, he says, you have heard it said, thou shalt not commit murder. But I say to you, and Jesus is not taken away from that text, but he's adding to what the true meaning is in God's heart. And what a great important thing we have to understand here today. That Jesus is talking to us as his disciples. He pulled the 12 aside and he's telling them this is what kingdom life is like. Because you are now going to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You're going to live a different kind of righteousness. You're going to walk a different way. People are going to see you differently. And so Jesus begins and he says to us. You have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. Now, Jesus here is very speaking very strongly and affirmingly of the commandment that we have before us. Because he knows the destruction it makes in a marriage. He knows the destruction it can bring to a family. He knows the hurt and mistrust that leads to. He knows how devastating it can be to a married couple. And how difficult it is to redo a marriage and to rebuild the trust once it's broken. And Jesus calls us here today, reminding us how important that fidelity is in a relationship or marriage. And that we're to fulfill that. There's emotional adultery that some people fall into. And it leads to physical adultery. We know that at times it's easy to talk to somebody else about our problems rather than our own spouse. Or that we wind up consoling somebody of the opposite sex that really goes too far. Some people feel that they have better chemistry than in their own wives. These are all excuses that people make to commit adultery. And how easy it is in our society to fall into that. James tells us what the slippery slope looks like. In James 1, he says, But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by an outside source. No. It's our own desire. What's going on inside of our hearts. And that desire... Conceives and gives birth to sin. That it's ruminating in our hearts, and if we have to deal with it immediately. And sin, when it is fully blown, brings death, and it brings death to relationships, brings death to our own selves that we don't even see if we fall into this. Jesus is talking about kingdom life here, folks. And he wants us to be sure that sex is a very serious matter. It's spiritual. And it's a serious matter. And some of the most spiritual people that I've known have fallen into the sin. Because they allowed themselves to be drawn in by their own desires. A lot of times people have affairs and they think it's the fault of their spouse, it's the fault of this person. No, it's your fault. Because you may have a hole inside of your heart of intimacy, but you're not filling it appropriately. And that desire draws you to do that. We see that with David. Now here the Bible says that David was a man after God's own heart. Nobody else in the Bible is talked about that except David. And look what happens. David was supposed to be out fighting wars but now the country was so at a point they needed him as a leader so they pulled him off of his battlefields and wanted him to stay in Jerusalem where it was safe and then it happens here's this guy who's used to conquering armies is bored And it happened late in the afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from his roof a woman bathing. And the woman was beautiful. Now, we don't know if David had just stepped outside to take a breath of fresh air and this caught his eye, or he knew that she came out at this time and he was lurking. Bring me the binoculars. We don't know that. It just says that he happened to be there, and this is what happened. And David calls her over through one of his servants and says, bring her over. This is one of my general's wives, and she looks like she's lonely, and maybe bring her over, and you know what happens. And what happens is, after that, comes a baby. And she's pregnant. David's nervous. So what does David do? Bring him in from the battlefield and have him stay overnight with his wife. And that'll cover it. You see what David's doing? He's trying to cover his sin. Sometimes we're tempted to do that is to cover our sins. When we need to just admit our sin and take it on and ask God for forgiveness and fix it. But instead, he brings him in. But he throws David a curveball because he will not sleep with his wife because his men are out in the field and he has so much integrity and concern for his men. How could I sleep with my wife if they can't sleep with theirs? That's a leader. So David's plan was foiled. So he tries it again. This time, he says, get him snookered, get him drunk. He'll lose all sense of values and then he'll go in and do it and then he will be covered for me. But he doesn't. He still holds the same position. And so here David develops another plan. His General King Joab, or General Joab. So here's the plan, Joab. Send Uriah, her husband, out into the valley, into the midst of battle, and let every other soldier know to draw back but him when the signal is given. And when he draws back, he's dead, because the under army is just going to kill him right on the spot. And that's what happened. David plotted his death. But you see, David didn't realize the cost it was going to be for him. Because David married then Beersheba. And when that baby came, the baby died. And not only did that baby die, but God said to him, and Nathan went to him and confronted him about 9 months, 8 months after this is all going on and says, David, admit your sin. Come clean before God. He's revealed to me what you've done. And David finally comes clean and he writes in the psalm, against you, Lord, I have sinned. And God forgave David. But the consequences it left in his household were
1: disastrous.
2: Not only did the baby that was born to Bathsheba die, but then his son raped his half-sister. And his other son, who was the full blood of the girl, plotted for two years and killed his brother. And then two years after that, his son Absalom, after he had killed Amnon, came out of hiding from his grandparents' house and then winds up getting killed himself after he leads a rebellion against his father. All that tragedy, all that sexual sin came because David fell. And what happened with David, yes, he was forgiven, but the consequences and repercussions continued to follow him. And so Jesus comes to us today and talks to us about epifuel, which means desire. These lusts that we have into ourselves, we need to curb them. Because they bring about devastation and catastrophic incidences in our lives. I was reading about a pastor who preached on this back in the 60s when the nuclear war, he said, this type of thing is more disastrous than a nuclear war. Because according to Jesus, it's damning to hell. Whereas when a nuclear disaster comes, it only wipes us off the face of the earth. You see, David, like a lot of people, sometimes we think we're Teflon like John Gotti. We didn't think the feds could ever get a charge to stick on him until the third time around they got him. He wound up dying in prison from cancer. But Jesus know the fatality that can come with the look. And Jesus says to us, but I say to you, you disciples, the Pharisees understand that, and they can go around saying, well, I've never done that. No. But look at what you have done. But I say to you, everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent, has already committed adultery in, with her in his heart. For your right eye, because you to sin, tear it out, throw it away. But it's better that you lose one of your members than that our whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. Tell me the people were not paying attention that day. Jesus gets pretty radical about it. Because he knows what it can do to a marriage. He knows what it can do to a young mind. I had a young man come to me one time and he was now in his 40s. He's battled pornographic addiction for many years. And it started when he lived out in Western Kansas on the farm when dad got the big, big dish and they could get TV and special HBO. And that's when it started for him. Now he was married. He'd have children. He had daughters. And yet he couldn't curb this addiction to pornography. We began to work on it. You see, the porn industry is huge. They want, and they're used, I believe, by the devil to pull you in. Their revenues are $100 billion. And the porn industry is, makes more money than the NFL, the NBA, and the MLB. Those pro leagues are peanuts to what's being made over there. And it's amazing the attitudes that are coming now this day. 43%... Don't believe that it's a problem anymore. And Jesus says, it's like adultery. 89% of the pornographic industry was developed in America. 72% men view it. 28% women view it. It's the fastest growing industry in America. And guess who's behind it? Big, big corporations like General Motors, Marriott, Time Warner, making their millions by destroying the hearts of men and women in our society. The big motels, making their cut when people turn it on in their motel rooms. 70% in-house profits by the motels. And here it is. Jesus is telling us to cut it out. Don't let it get a hold of you. Don't let it grip you. We see here, it's so readily available. If you have an iPad, or your computer, or even your phone. If you struggle with it, make sure you only use them when you're in the house with somebody else who can hold you accountable. There's a lot of people who believe that it's okay. Why? No one else gets hurt. Why is it wrong? As long as I don't have the physical affair, it helps me. It it doesn't cause me to rape or abuse anybody. Everyone's doing it. You know, the same lines that people give. And yet Jesus says to us, don't sink into that. Don't put your hearts on that level. Some people say, well, Jesus is just overreacting. No, he's not. That picture on the screen, we wind up dehumanizing. And they wind up being just a picture. You know, there have been in times past, the early church fathers, one of them was named Tortillian. You might have read his name because he was a great Christian historian in the church. And he took Jesus's words so literally that he had himself castrated. Now, Jesus is not calling us to do that. Jesus is trying to get our attention. And he wants us to see how important this is to our lives and to our marriages and to our relationships. And that when we do that kind of stuff, we are finding in ourselves, there's a hole inside that we're trying to fulfill. That's what happens to the adulterer who goes and finds another mate. There's a hole inside their heart of intimacy that they're not getting met. And they go out and grab somebody or something just to have that. And the hole is in them. Jesus says, get rid of it. Shut off the fuel to it. And that's why he talks about this radical action. So that we don't fall into its trap. It begins to own us. And internet porn is a very dangerous thing. And for women, it's an issue too. Soap operas, I can tell you of people who've gone away to reunions, connected with an old boyfriend, an old girlfriend, began to talk and dialogue on the internet, Facebooking, wound up walking out on their spouse for that other person. Online relationships. Paul tells Timothy, Older women, treat them as your mothers. Younger women as sisters. In all purity. One of my colleagues here at work came in the other day and says, I cannot believe this woman wore this outfit to the Y yesterday. She said it was abhorrent She had two teenage sons with her and she escorted them out of the Y because it was so disgusting because it basically didn't leave any room for the imagination. She was disgusted by it. You see, Jesus, and some believe that this interpretation even goes further. Some have taken the way the reading of it in the Greek Is saying to those who are trying to make themselves seductive and be wanted, that also is a sin. Trying to get people to lust after them, it's a sin. And in our society, modesty is not too much promoted, but the Bible speaks about it constantly. Modesty is supposed to be very important for the Christian. And it's not because we're ashamed of what we look like. It's not because we think we're ugly or we're embarrassed. No, the Bible tells us to be modest in the way we dress. So that we feel good about ourselves and our integrity that God has given us made in the image of God. And we don't need to flaunt anything to be accepted by that world. And that we need to save it for that right person who we're married to. The Bible produces and speaks about pride, about modesty often, because you're important to God and you're valuable. You know, our society has lost that modesty. My son and I went to see Jerry Seinfeld a couple years ago down at Century Two. And he said, I can remember the day my mother took me to school for the first time on kindergarten. She walked me down to school and there were all these moms and moo-moos and their hair was in big curlers. And <clears throat> my wife said to me, I was home and she said, you know, it's the first day of the girls' school today. He's got a set of twin girls that were going into kindergarten. And she says to him, Why don't you come with us and walk the girls for their first day? And so he does. Two blocks from the school, he goes walking down there and he says, I thought it was a hooker convention. He said, All these women were done up like they were hookers, showing off and flaunting themselves. He said, I was embarrassed for them. I was reading a woman who wrote a wonderful piece for the Time magazine. Her name is Wendy Shalit. She's Jewish. But she talks about little girls. Especially girls who have to do private selfies. They think that's important to be liked. And they have to realize there's no shame in putting yourself not out there. But our culture pressures these young girls to look sexy, to put on provocative clothes. The teenage boys want to see pictures. And the pressure is on that you have to do this, otherwise you're not going to be like. And if it gets in the wrong hands of people, they will basically blackmail you and say, I'll send this picture to your mother if you don't send me another picture. That's how they get blackmailed. We had an an officer from the FBI here present to the kids at the school, the older kids at the school, what these predators do to seduce people in, especially little girls. And how they have to take these selfies. But she said they need to understand they have a higher standard. And that they're a child of God and he's created them and they should be very proud of who they are and not have to seek after that detention. And that's why Paul says to Timothy, treat the older women as mothers, the younger women as sisters in purity. That's where Jesus is talking about this visual adultery. I had a friend one day was driving down the road and he saw this rather attractive girl running on a, riding on a bicycle, began to lust after her. He said, and then I pulled up next to her and I looked and it was my daughter. He said, I was disgusted with myself. And Jesus comes to us and wants us to be prudent to guard our hearts, to guard our minds. Decide and make a decision not to live that way. We see that in the end here. Jesus said, it's better or worse. It is better than to lose one of your members than the whole body into hell. That's how serious it is to Jesus. This is the disciples' way to handle this. And the first thing we need to do, men and women, is make a decision that Jesus is Lord. We see that done here in Job 31.1. Job says it very clearly. I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully after a young woman. There's nothing wrong with admiring someone's beauty. But instead of kickening in the lust, when you see a girl at the gym or out on the road, pray for her. Pray for her spiritually. Pray that God will work in her heart and be with her in her life. Confess that it's a problem. Maybe you can get a friend to help you. To give you the victory. And to not allow yourself fall trap. Sense when you're struggling. Get somebody who maybe you can talk to through that about. Because Jesus says... How extremely important this is. Eight lists in the scriptures in the New Testament on vices that Christians could fall into, and every list includes sexual sin. Now, I'm telling you, people will think that the scarlet letter has happened and that you. Are prude. I was called this when I was in college 50 years ago. There were all kinds of things said about me because I would not, I refused. Because I know God. Want me pure. Why I put a picture of Jesus over my bed in my, lock, in my, in my, my <clears throat> dorm room so that I would be reminded that he was present in that room. And it's the little things that cause us to trip up. Believe me. Mayor Giuliani, when he became mayor of New York City, it was a mess. The liberal mayors had to just let things go to waste. Crime was all over the place. People would, we would pull up in New York City at a traffic light and they would spit on your windshield. And say, I'll clean your window for a dollar. After they spit on it. And they'd be there with a squeegee. Holding you hostage. And he put down some blue laws. Like. Anybody who says the F word in public gets a $300 fine. That if you're caught with a squeegee and you spit on somebody's window, you get a $250 fine. And let me tell you something. Within a year, things began to change. And in our devotion to Christ, we pray like David did. Search me, O God, and know my heart. See if there's any wicked way that leads me to this path. And help me to get rid of it. Help me to eradicate it. Help me to clean it up. Help me to change. That's what we're to do. To commit ourselves to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. To avoid areas that you've come to realize are areas of temptation for you. Stop pointing the finger at others. Look at your heart. Mourn to be blessed, to be mourned over that in your heart. And begin to change it. And do this, what it says is, Philippians 4, what does it say? Find thee brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable. If anything is excellent praiseworthy, think on those things. Distract your mind. It's easy to distract your mind from things if you wanna do it. And that's the decision. You really want to obey the covenant of God. If you're willing to change your heart, ask God to fill your Holy Spirit with that change. Be alert. How the devil is trying to draw you in. Be not lingering in the spots or with the people you shouldn't be lingering with. That you plan when you're isolated, plans of prayer rather than looking on the internet. And realize Jesus forgives us and wants us to move to a whole new level. We have that story, don't we? The woman who's caught in adultery. They bring her to Jesus. Or the woman at the well. Who has many husbands. And the guy that she's living with now. Is not her husband. The one where the Pharisees are. Bringing her up on adultery. When Jesus burns into the ground and shows their sins as he draws them out and they begin to leave and then he says to the woman they're forgiven and then he says and go and sin no more You know, successful people are not people who don't fall and struggle. To be successful is for a person who, when they do fall, they pick themselves up. They realize the mistake that they did, and they don't do it again. And this is what Jesus says to us and to this woman. And that he will give us the strength. Let's pray together. Father, I want to thank you for this lesson today. It's a hard lesson, Lord, because it hits the nerve on all of us. Sometimes we don't want to face things, we don't want to look at things but you give us the answer for them. And I thank you too, Lord, that when we do fall, you have given us forgiveness, but you also give us the power to overcome it, and that we can be victorious. Lord Jesus, I pray, Father God, that as we walk into this world, that we can be the disciples you called us to be. And people see in us a difference, a righteousness, not just going through the motions and not doing the physical part of it, but with a deep spiritual value inside of us, of our relationship to you and our desire to follow you, Jesus. Thank you for your forgiveness And for your empowering strength. In your name we pray Christ. Amen. The Lord Jesus in which he was betrayed. He took the bread. And he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples said take eat. This is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus Christ, the bread of life, who satisfies our souls. Amen. In like manner, Jesus took the cup. And when they had supped, he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. This do you in remembrance of me. Jesus reminds us of how he washes away our sin by the beautiful, precious blood that he gave for us. Father in heaven, we thank you for the precious gift of Jesus. Even though we fall and we stumble, there's forgiveness because of what Christ did by spilling this blood And breaking his body for us. Lord, help us so fully to appreciate that. And to live those powerful lives that you died for us to have. In your name we pray, Christ. Amen. Let's rise and receive the benediction and sing our closing song. Now go in the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live for Him. And by the direction of this Father, His love for us, we rejoice. Amen. Through it all, through it all, I've learned to depend, I've learned to trust in God. Through it all, Through it all, I've learned to depend upon his word.